Look, Pet Chat is the name of the game. Our, uh, we've got the A-team back with us once again, Dr. <laughs> David Tabard. We'll, you were the last one to walk in, so you can get the hello first. Good afternoon, oh, sir. Thank you very much, Mark. Good to see you. Uh, you're ready to answer all of those pet questions today, aren't you? Loving it. Of course, Cheryl Shaw is here smiling away. Are we doing bro- uh, yeah, brooch watch today? What have mm-hmm. you got for us? Oh, it's a coloured dog, so we're going to be talking about colours in dogs today. Looks like a, a, um, looks, a cartoon, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it looks like yeah. a flamingo bent over. Oh, well, he's got, you know, blue skin, so, oh. yeah. <laughs> David, can you diagnose that, please? <laughs> <laughs> the copper toxicity if you've got blue skin or silver. If it? your dog no, is currently blue. colour dilution <laughs> alopecia. There you go. All right, we'll cover all of that. We'll fire up Pet Chat at 2 and URFM 103.7. Cheryl, your topic for today, which uh, brought that nice blue cartoon dog brooch. Mm-hmm. Sick uh, dog. Sick dog. It is a sick dog. But I'm going to talk about colours in dogs. Now, there's an interesting thing about um, the Sydney University did a study, and there's been many studies worldwide done on this, but they took the chocolate Labrador. So we know that dogs come in different colours. So, you know, your labs, you've got your black, you've got your brown, and you've got all shades of yellow. So shouldn't they be the white chocolate labs? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no? dear. The milk chocolate, you milk think? Milk chocolate, there yeah. you go. So what happened with this study? They found that um, chocolate Labradors are twice as likely to have ear infections than the other colours. So I just really? think, yeah, so that's quite an interesting thing. They're mm. also more likely to have dermatitis, mm-hmm. um, obesity mm-hmm. and cancers as well as joint problems and joint problems will come as a a flow on from that obesity. obesity. But the other thing that they found was that the um, life expectancy of a chocolate lab is significantly lower. So they actually die about two years given everything, you know, normal, uh, under the, the two years before their other coloured dogs. Wow. So the colour of your dog, because of the chromosomes and the genes that are in there, that chocolate lab has a recessive gene, and that is what is creating the issue for those chocolate labs. The other thing is with black dogs. Now, not labs and doesn't matter what black dog it is. Black dogs that find their way into a shelter or a, a, a centre for um, rehousing often are the ones that are left there for a lot longer. Now, people, and we know that the Black Dog um, Institute for for Mental Health has a flow-on effect for some people because they actually, whether it be that subconsciously or if it's because of, you know, myths or beliefs and things like that, Mm. black dogs are often considered that they may be more aggressive, that they're dangerous, and they just don't have that appeal to some people. And black cats are the same. Often people won't, (laughs) won't go near a black cat. So that metaphor that's used for the black dog flows through into the centres for um, for rescue and they have a thing called black dog syndrome and so often centres will try to help that black dog to be recognised uh, and to be adopted by putting on collars and bandettas just to make them look a little, you know, what's that and what's going on there to draw attention to that black dog and some places particularly in in the states they often put the black dogs in more lit areas so they'll have extra lighting so that they they're showing them up better i don't know if you've ever tried to photograph a black dog but my first standard poodle ziggy i could never get a good photograph of Mm. him it just was like a big blob a sink yeah yeah, it's yeah. interesting. But, yeah, so with colours, we need to look at why do people ignore those black dogs? And maybe it is superstition. Maybe it's just that they don't have the appeal. But I reckon it's Clifford the red dog because red dogs 
are the ones that are most popular. <laughs> so when you go to a shelter, those red dogs or those apricots or those, you know, those nice creamy shades mm. of red, they're the ones that get picked up a lot quicker than other dogs. And it's interesting because recently we've seen an increase in the number of uh, dogs for sale that are of the Merle yes. variety, mm. particularly the blue Merle, which is this kind of swirly mixture of greys and browns and blues and a kind of a salt and pepper look at times, isn't it? Yeah, so, and sometimes too, people, there's a lot of controversy about Merles and, you know, you mm. get, don't get a standard poodle person going on a Merle because they, they often are the ones that, um, that <clears throat> people are trying to not have um, being bred and there's a lot of problems with those. So going back to the earlier point about the health problems with the chocolate Labrador, and I think mm -hmm. this is a really important thing, is that um, what we're learning is that the genetics of these you know, simple things that yes. look like oh, coat colour, we, we might think in very simple terms. However, the, it's actually quite complex and the, the genetics are cross-linked and interact between different chromosomes and um, possibly even, as you said, like there's a, there's a connection between uh, skin health and life expectancy with the presence of black colour. But that doesn't mean that black dogs are more... Uh, or chocolate, sorry, chocolate, chocolate Labrador, are more prone to those things. It's we need to dive in and find out, do more research yeah, and find out what it is. And it is because of that recessive gene that's happening mm. there with those chocolate colours. Um, I've always said as a groomer, part of my thing is if ever a, a dog comes in and, and there's a dog with hair in its ear canals, it's always those reds and apricots and those brown dogs that suffer more ear problems. And I didn't know that until I read this research that it had actually been done. I've always maintained that they're the ones, if you don't pluck their ears, they're more likely mm. to get an ear infection. But going back to those blues, uh, the blue dog has a, re has a gene problem as well. And a lot of people with the, the, you know, the French bulldogs and the, and the dogs like this, they're trying to breed these different colours in. But the problem is that they do end up like my blue, blue brooch today with that um, recessive gene that causes um, you know, the alopecia, so the hair loss, it doesn't grow. And um, they, they're a bit stunted in growth as well. So, mm. yeah, lots of issues there with coloured dogs. To it, URFM 103.7 Pet Chat with uh, Cheryl Shores here along with Dr. David Tabret, who uh, you've got a topic for us today in and around uh, a blood test, David. Well, have you ever sort had, of. you've had a blood test, Mark? I have. Yeah. And do you They're know They're not what, fun. Do you? I know, did you pass or fail? No, uh, my, my blood was fantastic. <laughs> I, I will hasten to add it's been far too long since I've had one, but at the time I, look, it was fantastic. I, I'm not going to advocate that we just go out and have random blood tests, but um, certainly for a purpose. One of the things I wanted to highlight is that whenever we do blood tests in, in our pets... Uh, for whatever reason, the vet might say, oh, we've got this problem, we want to find out a bit more. I always say it's like, you know, we can look at the outside, um, but we can't really see what's going on inside. So let's get a snapshot of what's happening with different organs and your blood and so on. But uh, one of the things we often come up against is, you know, this idea of normal um, and uh, abnormalities that we find in a blood test. So when we when we look at our reference ranges for normal just so we know, that covers 95% of animals. So what that means is that 5% of animals, 2.5% at the bottom and 2.5% above the reference range, will have a value for whatever the test is in that area, above or below, and they're normal. So that's just where they sit. And sometimes, you know, going back to the idea of, like, let's get a blood test just for the heck of it, 
there is a little bit of value in that when you get to certain age groups, right? So certainly for, say, when we hit the geriatric years for um, for pets, which, you know, varies depending on their uh, body conformation and size. However, we want to get that value to know what is your pet's normal so that if later on they come in and they've got a value that's double that, then that might actually be abnormal, even though it's within the reference range. So we, we do tend to want to... Uh, evaluate these blood test results relative to your pet, relative to what's going on, relative to what their normal is. Um, and just to highlight one that we sometimes see is there's an enzyme that we measure, which is uh, from the liver, and um, it's called alkaline phosphatase. So it's shortened to ALP, and it uh, can appear in the blood associated with various things. So I mentioned liver, and predominantly when we do see it, and we think it's coming from the liver, then it's usually related to problems around or in uh, the bile duct system. There's different parts of liver anatomy and so on, but most people have heard of bile and gallbladders and things like that. So that's when we might see a problem there. But we also see liver disease with hormonal changes. We see uh, different drugs can cause liver disease that might increase the um, alkaline phosphatase, and certainly different liver diseases themselves would do that also. But the interesting thing is that if we take a sample from a very young dog, so less than 12 months of age, we'll often see an increase in the alkaline phosphatase, uh, even though their liver and their bile duct and everything is completely normal. And that's because this, this enzyme is also used or produced in bone. So these dogs are growing, which means there's a high turnover of new bone, and that is where we're getting release of this um, enzyme into the bloodstream. So... Associated with young dogs, we will see it. Um, we can see it associated with if your dog has had a recent fracture and we do a blood test, we might see an increase there. Or also nutritional bone disorders. So if you feed your pet at a young age, particularly, say, just straight meat, which is going to be low in phosphorus, that will cause uh, damage to the bone and weakening of the bone and an increase in this uh, alkaline phosphatase. Um if you take a sample from a very young animal, say less than a couple of weeks old, you'll get an increase as well. And that's actually from the placenta, from the mother, that also produces this enzyme. So you can start to get a picture of how complex this can get. And we've the reason I bring this up is that we get a lot of phone calls from time, well, you know, probably monthly, about dogs you would have remembered, dogs with Cushing's disease. And we talk about steroids. And interestingly, if I give a dog steroids or it produces its own too much steroids, like with Cushing's, it also causes the alkaline phosphatase to go up. So when we get these blood tests and we get an increase in the alkaline phosphatase, how do I know, is that normal for your dog? Is it associated with liver disease? It is, is it associated with bone disease? Maybe it's an age-related problem. Maybe it's because there's too much steroid in your system. So it really just starts us down this path. And to be honest, this is what most um, blood tests really do is they, they don't always confirm a problem. What they do is they tend to po point us to a particular problem. Um, and so, you know, next time a blood test is needed by your, your vet, they're going to be making that sort of analysis as they go through. And usually on a blood test, we'll do about 13 different um, enzymes and so on. So we go through that process for every single one. A process that certainly does sound like, David, that's for sure. <laughs>
I need a drink. I need a drink. <laughs> Just the talking lever. about it. <laughs> Across Newcastle and the Hunter, two in your RFM 103.7. We are here with Pet Chat, of course, Dr. David Tabret. He just said he needed a new drink. You've still got, what, a third of a glass of water there. You're okay. You're fine. You're doing all right, mate? I'm all right. Cheryl Shaw is here, who is welcome back next week by virtue of the fact that she's made no complaints or demands to staff so far. (laughs) Um, And again, give us a call if you have a question today. But look, our dog of the week. Now, Cheryl, you were talking earlier about um, those darker dogs not being very popular. Well, we have a dog of the week right here. How gorgeous does the 10-month-old black German shepherd known as Stella look? How good is it? Oh, Stella is gorgeous. Look at the ears. She's Stella. Stella. She is Stella. Stella Stella by name and nature. Now, uh, according to the bio here, um, Stella would be ideal in a home with experienced shepherd owners as they can continue the training. Uh, The carers say uh, Stella has a beautiful nature and very intelligent, uh, but needs lots of physical and mental stimulation. I'm guessing Mm. that that is something that comes with these these types of breeds, Dave? Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. you've really got to understand um, the training, the early training of a German shepherd. You've just got to get it right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my favourite breed of dog, by the way. Not that that means anything, but really? I love the German Shepherd dogs. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, yeah we had yeah. we had lots of them growing up. Now, adding to this, um, Stella does find cats way too interesting, and but not in a That's good a way. Nice way to say it. Yeah, <laughs> so therefore would not be suited to a household with any cats or other small animals. Um, so there you go. And that's just a, a that's, thought there. And that's something that Cheryl was just saying about the early training. So the socialisation mm. period, mm. which is before 10 months of age. Mm. And, and, you know, you just got to start where you're at, right? So if Stella hasn't had that exposure and appropriate training at an early stage, then you just got to work with what you've got. But I'm just looking at her ears and I'm hoping everybody can actually go on to the uh, 2NUR website and go to the programs, lifestyle programs and pet chat and look at Stella there because I'm telling you what, if your uh, Wi-Fi goes out, <laughs> her ears are going to pick up any signal within 100 kilometres. Just get her hooked up to a USB port and she's ready yeah, to go. Yeah, look, I'll just I'll caution you where you place the cable. <laughs> Okay. Well, if Stella doesn't like cats, she's not going to like what you do not with that cable like the, table. Not going to like the USB. Um, just a little bit of housekeeping to wrap up on Stella as well. Uh, not to sex at the moment, so uh, only available for adoption in Newcastle, Lake Macquarie, Central Coast, Port Stephens, um, and no out-of-air applications for that one. But again, uh, the uh, there is the link there right up to Dog Rescue Newcastle if you would like to adopt Stella, and why not? A nice, gorgeous, 10-month-old black German Shepherd dog. Beautiful. All right, 49216216 if you have a, a question for our Pet Chat team today. Good afternoon, John at Cessnock. Uh, you look, want to, you're looking to inquire about a, a dental health for your dog today. Yes, that's right. Yeah. G'day, John. What, uh, what sort of dog do you have? We have two chihuahuas. Yes. And the female was a rescue from um, puppy farming and things like that. She was about four when we got her and she... Had to have a few teeth out, and yep. um, she's got terrible breath, regardless of what we do. Yep. Um, and, yeah, just wondering if there's anything different we can try from home mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that might help with the, the bad breath and also preventing more decay. And how old is she now? She's just turned 13, but she's had this <laughs> okay. pretty much the whole time we've had her. Yeah, yeah, crikey. With no teeth. And uh, do you have another dog? 
Yes, he's um, 12. Um, yes. His, his um, breath is usually okay. He's had to have a couple of teeth out, but nothing too bad. Yeah. Um, we've had him from a baby, so, yeah, he's probably had better care and attention <laughs> than the other one. Yeah. <laughs> Prior look, to us getting her. It's a pretty common problem, particularly in this breed. Um, mm-hmm. And it's interesting because a lot of these dogs, when you look at them and we look at their mouth, there does seem to be, well, as you mentioned, a lot of them have lost some teeth. Um, yeah. But you would kind of think, looking from the outside, well, you know, they, their nose is a reasonable length. They should have enough yeah. room. And yet almost every chihuahua, when I've ever done dental work on them, I find there's teeth in uh, misplaced and there's malocclusion, which means the teeth aren't lining up as they should. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot yeah. of them related to diet. They often have exposure to softer foods mm-hmm. that aren't really um, exercising the gums and the teeth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. As you mentioned, you know, it can be a really long-standing problem. So it is pretty difficult in that regard. And one of the things that we often talk about with people is, you know, this teeth, 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 but really yeah. it should be gums, gums, gums. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So most of the problem is coming and most of the disease that we see with dogs with uh, dental problems mm. is actually gum problems and per- yeah. periodontal disease. So that will lead to, it's a, it's a bacterial problem where they get a matrix of protein and, and saliva mm. and um, bacteria on the teeth that produce this biofilm. Uh, yeah. And that's what allows the bacteria to grow. And then it gets down into the um, sulcus, which is the gap between the gum and the tooth. At the very top of the gum where it's meeting the tooth, there's this little kind of moat around the tooth, a trough. And that's where... Mm this starts to occur so you can't see that it's under the gum line right yeah and it, yeah. Then, it then goes down the uh, side of the tooth into what's called the periodontal ligament and that's mm-hmm. what holds the tooth in the bone so as it goes down there then the tooth becomes loose tooth falls yeah. out and interestingly a lot of those dogs will be it's a lot easier to look after them and yeah. it's usually not not because they've just lost their tooth per se, but it's actually because it's uh, there's no area for the bacteria to hide. Okay, okay. so yeah. if if yeah. the if the bone is actually not infected, and a lot of them can end up with infections in the bone, then mm-hmm. the gum will heal over hopefully, and then yeah. you know it's it's there's nowhere for the bacteria in that space. But then of course, okay. you know yeah. there's twenty five other teeth in the mouth. So that, that's kind of how you get to where you're at. And yeah. the problem that you've asked about is, well, how can we prevent it or at least improve it? And mm-hmm. there's certainly removing teeth that are loose is probably number one. Yeah. Because they're, they're not helping, they're causing pain, and they're just providing a place for bacteria. And yeah. at, the, at the same time, any teeth that remain should have a, a proper clean that involves the veterinarian under anesthesia, going down the side of the tooth and cleaning uh, as much of that little sulcus, the moat, as they can. Um, And then we often apply a fluoride um, paste and clean as well. Now, that's kind of that acute treatment. And then longer term, that's when we turn to things like, can you brush your dog's teeth? That does help. But let's, you know, I don't want well, people... Well, they let you. <laughs> yeah, I don't want people... It's kind of like when I asked you what breed you had and you said Chihuahua and I think my shoulders just dropped. 
Um, <laughs> I just, I've, I've had a lot of experience with dental problems in two hours, and I know that, yeah. you know, it's a bit of a challenge, and we love them, but um, boy, oh boy, mm. they, go, they don't look after their teeth well these two hours. <laughs> so. Uh, uh. Brushing is one thing, but a lot of people struggle with that, and I understand that. And then so we look to diet and using yeah. chew toys. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, soft food can be a problem, but then if they've got a sore mouth, they're not going to eat um, hard food. And dry, yeah. dry kibble is not actually a tooth cleaner, mm-hmm. okay, because it's more like a powder that's been, or very small sand of food yeah. that's been compressed. And as soon as okay. the dog bites it, it just pulverizes. Um, but mm. there are there are special foods that actually they don't do that. When the dog bites them, they cleave off and they'll clean the side of the tooth a little bit. Mm. Um, we get them those chew sticks, you know, the, I don't know what they're even made of. They're green sometimes, they're brown sometimes. You buy them in a pack from the a vet or the supermarket. Is that like a, gre- a greenie, is it, John? Is it the greenie? Yeah. Like a sh- yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 So they've they've actually got this compressed fibres. So when yeah. the when the dog chews, it doesn't just simply pulverise it. It actually cleaves off, and it'll help to uh, brush against the side of the tooth and the gum. Mm. And it's that okay. massaging of the gum that actually helps to prevent the build up of uh, bacteria. Okay. Okay. So. Acute dental cleans are always helpful, and look, to be honest, a lot of dogs, even of many, you know, elderly, if we think, and to be honest, Chihuahua's 13, well, you know, you've still got another 10 years, um, mm. but a lot of dogs actually have poor health because of their teeth. Mm. So I've seen yeah. a lot of people who avoid getting their dog's teeth clean because they say, oh, they're never well, and we convince mm-hmm. them, you know, look, with safe anaesthesia, we're going to be able to clean their teeth. And then suddenly, three months later, the dog's running around like a puppy. Yeah, yeah. Well, so. well our vet has um, done that a couple of times. But look, at the annual check, he says, oh, not this year. We'll do it next year. We'll see. keep an eye on that. So he's pretty good that way. But I just thought that if there's anything we can do in the meantime. Yeah, yeah well, the, I mean, as, as we mentioned, brushing if you can. Otherwise, yeah. Um, Making sure, just picking the diet carefully. A lot of people go for raw, meaty bones. I work as an ER vet predominantly, and mm. um, you know we could spend a couple of days talking about what raw bones can do. And I've seen mm. problems. That doesn't mean every dog that eats a raw bone is going to have problems. And my yeah. general rule is no cooked bones and no cut bones. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So if the butcher wants to cut a bone in half for you, say no thanks. Um, and yeah. my rule is that the bone has to be bigger than the dog. Oh, okay. Okay, because that way if they swallow it, you'll know where it is. Yeah. John, I actually <laughs> use a, um, with, yeah. along with my dog's kibble, I actually give them a special mm-hmm. kibble that is um, for cleaning teeth. And oh, they, okay. that yeah. really does work. They, yeah. they actually pick that out and eat that first and then they eat their other kibble. But it makes that real crunching sound and you, you know it's taking mm-hmm. that plaque and, and you know if that plaque's removed from the tooth, you're not going to have that yeah. calculus building up and going down into that subgingival area. So if you yeah. can try a bit of that, that might help as well. Um, but being chihuahuas, they might just, you know, go around the bowl and leave it there. It's just going to depend on, on them. So maybe buy a small bag and give it a whirl. They're just looking for the gravy. Yeah, they yeah. Love, love everything. So Aren't we all? Aren't we all? <laughs> Thanks for the call, John. Cheryl Shaw is here along with Dr. David Tabret. Now, I mentioned we have a couple of dogs of the week. We did yes. the black 
German Shepherd for you. Um, what colour is holly, Cheryl? Uh, Holly's a bit cute, actually. Holly's going to be whipped up because she's a little caramel. What is she? Uh, a Rhodesian boxer. <laughs> a Rhodesian? caramel. Yeah. yeah uh, caramel apparently loves the foster the siblings as well. Great with little cats and her little chihuahua playmate. So a bit of a difference from the last dog. This, this one loves cats. Still going to be a large... Dog yes, though, yes. Rod- uh, Ridgeback is a large dog. A boxer, a very energetic dog. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to have a large dog um, who probably, like most of our pets anyway, needs and deserves a fair bit of exercise. Yeah, and so lots of la- training there as well. Yes, large backyard, plenty of time to spend with it, with with him, and and all of that sort of, sort of gear. Yeah, yeah. A um, couple of advantages some people might find there is uh, easier to groom, short coats. Um, but, yeah, I think, uh, well, she wins the beauty stakes today. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently already mastering all of the basic commands after a few days with the foster family. Uh, toilet training is coming along really well. So they're saying all the right things in this blog, aren't they? Oh, look, it's, a, you know? it's an attractive profile. <laughs> um, apparently super loving, loves all the cuddles, loves to snuggle with the kids on the couch. And for this reason, we are searching for a home that will allow Holly to be inside and outside. So there you go. What if what if we trained her not to sit on the couch? Would, would that be that? suitable? <laughs> well, I mean, there are, there's, look, there's legitimate... Um, Things I've seen plenty of times where I think sometimes that isn't managed well and uh, the dog does then become a bit possessive and create some problems. So I think we need to make sure that we um, put in some, you know, reasonable, um, appropriate discipline in terms of where does the dog sit and getting it to respond, all the things we talk about many, many Mm. weeks well, that's the trick, isn't it? Because, I mean, while Ollie's jumping on the couch now all the time and then goes to the new home and not allowed on the couch all the time, well, hang on, no, no one's ever told me but this that, before. But that's the point. It's a yeah. training exercise yeah. and we've got to train for these things. So the information's really helpful to know where we're starting from. Big advantage, she's young. She's 10 weeks. She's going to learn these things really quickly because when we do it, we might use uh, a lead and we're going to use food treats. Oh, yeah, there you go. That'll, that'll always that'll, work. I know. Well, still, it worked on you, Mark. Both of those things still work a le- on me. A lead in food treats. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's Holly and, of course, Stella as well. If you were looking to add a dog to your family, check out the Dog of the Week up at our webpage at 2NURFM.com.au. That brings us to the end of Pet Chat today. So, Dr. David Tabbert, thank you for your Love time. Dabba Dabba. Deb, you too. And Cheryl Shaw, we'll catch you next week as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.